any man or woman, boy or girl, who claims to be a Christian, but in whose life there has been no visible change, they've made a false claim. Being distinct from unbelievers is a very necessary part of Christian witness. Now, we read these words in 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. We've spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them. In that flood of dissipation. They think it's strange because you're not like them because Christians are distinct in the world. One of the problems with the believers on the island of Crete is that they haven't been anything like as distinct in their cities and towns and homes. They haven't been anything like as distinct within their culture that they should have been. They're still very much just like any other Cretan. But when God moves by his grace in the power of a sinner, they change. They change. This is the work of the Spirit of God. It's impossible for him to be at work in someone's life and there'd be no obvious change. Will there be room for more change in the life of a Christian? Well, of course there will. There's always room for more change. But no change just doesn't happen. Christians are to be distinct. Now, given that early in the letter where he talks about those who contradict and who are insubordinate in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1, and then in verse 8 of the second chapter, speaking of one who is an opponent, those things may well be a reference to people in the church. But both they and those who are outside of the church need to be challenged by the godly lives of those who follow Christ. And that's one of the things that's being urged upon these believers and this is one of the things that Paul is encouraging Titus in as he seeks to strengthen him in the ministry that he has on the island of Crete. These believers who you're working amongst, these churches that you're working in, they need to be distinct because of the work of the gospel that has taken root in their lives. And I want to point out six areas in those verses that we read from verse 9 onwards, six areas in which we are to be distinct. 
as the Lord's people. And the first is this, distinct in difficult circumstances. At the beginning of verse 9, we read this, exhort bond servants. Well, we stop, just stop there. Bond servants. It's literally slaves. Exhort the slaves. Now he's talking about literal slaves. In New Testament days, some Christians were the masters of slaves. Whether or not you agree with that, that's a fact. And of course, some Christians were themselves slaves. Now, of course, being a slave was often not a good place to be. Slaves are vulnerable to exploitation and abuse and cruelty. Human rights, they'd never even heard the phrase. Didn't mean a thing. Some believed slaves were less than human anyway. They had few, if any, rights, little protection within society. Vulnerable people. It wasn't necessarily a horrendous existence. If you happened to have a master who was kind and just, if you happened to have a master who was a Christian believer, then hopefully you would have someone who was kind and just. Actually, even as a slave, you could find yourself with fairly reasonable working and living conditions, a half-decent standard of living, sometimes better than those who were free men and women outside, if you had a good and kind and just master. Nevertheless, probably... It was still something very much in your heart and in your mind that I'm I'm still not free though. I still don't have the liberties of a free man or woman. I'll never be my own. I'm always going to be the property of somebody else. Now, will these slaves, especially those who are Christian believers, will they find in Paul someone who is going to fight their cause for the abolition of slavery? Uh, No, they're not. Are they going to find in Paul someone who's going to campaign on issues of social injustice? Well, not in a direct way, no. He's certainly not going to be standing outside Parliament with placards and shouting... That's not what Paul's ministry is. And he's not going to be talking about any of those kinds of things in terms of exhorting and encouraging these Christian believers. Not that a Christian can't campaign against such things. And not that Christianity actually hasn't helped to break down some of those kinds of barriers in society over the years, because it has. But you see, Paul understands that for those who were slaves, they're slaves now. They're slaves today, whatever the future may hold for them. And there's something far more immediate at stake. There's a burning issue that they need to deal with today. 
And that is that if they are a Christian slave, they should be distinct as a Christian slave. You see, if you're in difficult circumstances, you don't sit down and wait until your circumstances have improved before you start to live the way a Christian should live. You begin to live as a Christian even in your difficult circumstances. And so you have to be distinct even there. Paul's addressing slaves. It doesn't really get much meaner than that in society than to be a slave. And Paul addresses them while they're slaves. Most of them will live and die as slaves. And he knows it. You see, no matter how hard your circumstances are, there's never an excuse not to be distinct. Be obedient. Be well-pleasing in all things. Not answering back. You see, meekness and humility are trademarks of the Christian faith. Being a moaning whinger, even if there are genuine things to moan and whinge about, is not the Christian way and it's not Christian testimony. Doing things grudgingly and in a huff is not the Christian way. When what is expected of you seems unfair or unreasonable. The Christian's first response is not to stamp their foot and be as awkward as they possibly can be. When difficult circumstances arise, that is your opportunity to be distinct from everyone else around you. When people let you down, when they try to take advantage of you, there must be something markedly different, markedly godly, markedly Christ-like in the way that you respond. Christians don't become exasperated and slam doors and cause a scene. It's not the Christian way. Be obedient well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. It takes a marked work of grace in the life of any sinner to live like that. <coughs> you may have legitimate complaints. You may think those complaints need to be addressed. You may wish to try and have them addressed and have them resolved. But you follow legitimate means to do it. And even in that, you are distinct in your manner, in your bearing, in your speech, in your conduct. Even when circumstances are difficult, especially when circumstances are difficult, the Christian is distinct in this sinful world. Well, let's consider what else is said to slaves... And let's bring it into the modern arena of the workplace in the 21st century, because that's the best equivalent that we have really today, isn't it? None of us are, are slaves in this sense. Um, 
we become, we are all either slaves to sin or slaves to Christ, but that's not the, that's not the aspect of slavery that's, that's under consideration here. It's talking about literal physical slavery. Humanly speaking, well, none of us, thankfully, are in that position, but the nearest equivalent probably is, is the modern workplace in which we all live and work. So let's bring it into the 21st century and think about, secondly, being distinct in the workplace. What, what does Paul direct Titus to say and how does he en- is he to encourage these Christian slaves? Well, be obedient, be well-pleasing, not answering back. Verse 10, not pilfering, showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour in all things. So in the workplace, you're obedient. Whatever your role is in your workplace, you fulfil it completely. You get straight down to it. And you do whatever it is that your employer expects of you. And you're eager and willing to do so. You gain a reputation of reliability and trustworthiness and thoroughness. And the point here, of course, is that it's an obedience that comes gladly and willingly from the heart. This isn't a forced or grudging or false obedience. You do it gladly. You embrace it. Because you're different now. If others are lacking in obedience, well, you'll show them up because of your distinctiveness. To be well-pleasing in all things. You're not a job's worth who sticks to the letter of the law. So far and so far only. I'm not paid for any more than this. No, you're you're well-pleasing in the workplace. You work with a spirit of generosity and compliance. You make it easy for your boss to be your boss. You're a delight to them. You put a smile on your boss's face and on those of your colleagues too. The countenance on the face of your boss visibly drops when they come in on a Monday morning and remember that you're on holiday all week and aren't going to be there. Oh, no. Ted's not in this week. It's going to be dreadful without Ted. Because Ted's a believer and he's distinct. Oh, haven't got many like Ted. That's the Christian in the workplace. Not answering back. You're not habitually argumentative, difficult, moaning, complaining. You understand what's required of you. This is my job. I'm going to do it for Christ. And you get on with it. Not pilfering. Showing good fidelity. Working with godly integrity in your place of work. You don't steal. There's many ways of stealing from your employer, you know. Well, the most obvious one you might think of is stealing money. Well, of course, you'd never put your hand in the till, would you? But neither do you claim overtime you haven't worked. Neither do you take take home from the office what isn't yours to take home. 
You don't steal time from your employer. You work the hours that they are paying you for. So you don't turn up late. And you don't leave for lunch early. You clock on and off when you're supposed to. You don't spend time on your phone when you're supposed to be working. Because you don't pilfer in any way from those you're working for. In any way. And because, because you've got this warm and generous spirit, you'll gladly put in a few extra minutes at the end of the day just to leave things nice and tidy and orderly, ready for the next day. Because you'll be well-pleasing in all things. Because there's just something about you now that marks you out from the rest. Because Christians are distinct in this world. Why? Why? Because your aim is to adorn the doctrine of your God and Saviour. You are to make the outworking of the gospel attractive to others. You are to make the gospel as attractive as you, co- as you possibly can simply by your exemplary character and conduct. We've come back to those two words again. For elders in the church, it's, it's all about character and conduct. For the Christian in the workplace, it's all about character and and conduct. As I said this morning, many will find our doctrines, the things, the truths that we teach, the truths that we hold to, many will find them completely disagreeable. But they don't find you disagreeable. And there lies the difference. They, they see it being lived out, and at the very least, you cause them a quandary. Because the truths that we hold to and the truths that we proclaim, they find totally unacceptable. But the life that those truths are producing is the finest life they've ever had the pleasure to meet. And you baffle them completely. And you adorn the gospel with your life. What they see in you is undeniably good. Whenever we're on this theme, I can't help it. I always find my mind thinking back to Joseph in the house of Potiphar. He was a slave. And within a very short time, Potiphar realised that he had a man in his household like he'd never met before. And he entrusted his entire household, money, the lot, into Joseph's hands. The only thing Potiphar had to worry about every day was what he was going to have for tea. Joseph took care of everything else. Because he'd seen in this man this distinct, exemplary character and conduct. Such are you and I to be in this world. Thirdly, would to be distinct in God's grace and salvation... Verses 11 and 12, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us 
that denying ungodliness, worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age. Distinct in God's grace and salvation. Now I'm really, really glad that Paul has put this little reminder in here as to what it's all about and where this is all coming from. What Paul is urging upon you here is that the world can see the reality of God's saving grace that is at work in you. It's the outworking of God's saving grace in the life of the Christian. This is the fruit of your salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the new life that you've now received by virtue of having been born again and united to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not something that you can take up and pick up as some kind of lifestyle theory and I'm going to do this, I'm going to be this. It doesn't work that way. You can never be this kind of person unless the very grace and power of God has entered you as you've been born again of God's Spirit. It's the fruit of God's Holy Spirit within you. It's not self-manufactured this. It can't be. This is the active grace of God becoming manifest in one who's been born again. And it's you giving yourself to that which God has already done and is doing in you and through you. And there may be some here this evening and, and you're thinking, well, these are great things to work towards. And all you're thinking that you need to do is to take this list of things away. and I'm going to go and do this. Let me tell you, you can't. You can't. You don't have the wherewithal within you to, to be like this and to live like this. You don't have what it takes to stand against the tide of the world and be distinct like this. What you need is the grace of God. What you need is this salvation that has appeared to all men in the Lord Jesus Christ. It begins here in verse 11. It begins with this grace and this salvation and this saviour. You begin by turning to him. And if you've never done that, I would urge you to consider that this evening. You need to turn to Christ. All of these things that we're being instructed in, they're written to Christian believers who are in Christ and in whom Christ dwells by his Spirit. And it's on account of that that we are to be like this. Because this distinctiveness is the outworking of God's grace in the life of a sinner. And it cannot be achieved any other way. So if you've never turned to Christ, if you've never accepted him as Lord and Saviour, if you've never confessed your sins and repented of them before him, that's where this distinctiveness begins. And it can't start anywhere else. You have to come as a sinner to Jesus begin there and then stay there because that's how it continues distinct in God's grace and salvation that's who you are that's what you are that's what the world needs to see and by God's grace that's what the world will see
And when this is genuine, it always transforms us, teaching us that. Always transforms. It always transforms. That we might live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age. That's what this gospel does. Fourth way in which we're distinct. We're distinct in future hope, verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You are distinct in future hope. Unbelievers believe that this life is all there is. Grab what you can while you can. Because you only get one chance. This is it. And the end is simply what you've accumulated of this world in this world. And then you die and leave it. And it's gone. Christians have a totally different outlook. Because what we're working towards is completely different. We're not concerned with what we're accumulating in this world. I hope you're not. Our hope is distinct. Our hope is in that blessed appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ when we go to be with him forever. That's what we're working towards. That's, that's the direction our lives are going. You don't look for rewards in this life like other people do. You look forward to that eternal reward at the return of Christ when you will dwell with him forever. You can see as a believer now just how temporary and transient everything in this world is. And so your state down here in many ways is irrelevant as long as you're living like this because it's your state in eternity that you're concerned about it's your state in eternity that you're giving your time and energies to because the Christian has a distinct future hope and it's different to everybody else's that means you can live differently all your ambitions and things that you're aiming to, they're all completely changed as a Christian. All your priorities, all, all your affections, they're completely different. Because you're distinct in your future hope. And that changes how you can look at the world now and how you live now. And fifthly, you're distinct in identity. Verse 14 Jesus Christ, our great God and Saviour, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You are distinct in your identity. In the TV science fiction programme, Doctor Who, uh, there's a group of baddies called the Cybermen. The Cybermen start out as ordinary people. But this thing is done to them and all their emotions are completely eradicated. And they gain an entirely new identity and persona 
they have new traits and new behaviours that are all common to their new identity. If you see a Cyberman, you know he's a Cyberman. He's unmistakable. You know how he's going to behave towards you because he's a Cyberman. Now, Christians have likewise gained this entirely new distinct identity. Everything about us has changed. And we have this new relationship with Christ. We have this new citizenship in heaven. We've become God's own special people. And we're distinct in that. It marks us out from the world. If you went into Church Street on a Saturday afternoon and you saw a cyberman walking down Church Street, he'd stick out like a sore thumb, let me tell you. Now, in our daily living, within the life of the church, in our interactions with all the people that we contact throughout the week, in our places of work and in our homes and in our neighbourhoods. It's not because we wear shiny metal silver suits and we've got funny strange helmets on our heads. It's because there's something about our character, something about our nature, something about our conduct which marks us out distinct in identity. because of who we have been made to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're his special, redeemed people. And finally, in the opening verses of chapter 3, we are distinct as citizens. There's all kinds of sharks and wheeler dealers and all kinds of unscrupulous people out there in the world, isn't there? Christians stand out. Christians are distinct. You're distinct as a taxpayer. You're distinct as a neighbour. You're distinct as one who keeps the law. You're distinct because you're one of those helper-outers who will always help out. You'll... You're distinct as one of those jump to your aiders because you're always one who jumps to the aid of others. Because there's just something about you that's distinct within society. And you're distinct as citizens of the United Kingdom. If you've got citizenship anywhere else in the world, you're distinct as a citizen there. Because there's something that marks you out even as a citizen in the, in the UK. Because we're subject to rulers and authorities. Whether you like it or not, you are under God. And in conduct and in responsibility and in speech, something about you, you're peaceable. You ever seen those YouTube videos of road rage? Never a Christian. Never a Christian. No harshness. You're not harsh with people. You're gentle. Gentle. 
Humility. Humility. No self-importance. We're to be distinct in the world. The problem with the believers in, on the island of Crete is they've lost all their distinctiveness. There's nothing that marks them out. In their church, in their homes, where they live, where they work. Let it not be so for us. Let it not be so for you. Distinct. Because you're in Christ. And his grace and power are at work in you mightily. And let our lives adorn the gospel that we declare to his glory.